Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 2 this morning. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John, how to walk, how to be authentic in our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. An authentic walk begins with the gospel. The gospel is transformational. It's called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. It's made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Where old things are passing away, all things are becoming new. It's allowed us to recognize that we are indeed citizens of heaven. Although we live in this world, God's children are not of this world. We have a higher position. We are children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have a higher passion for our lives, and that is to glorify God in everything that we do. We have a higher purpose, and that is to live out the gospel. I'm sure you, as I, identified the events that unfolded in our nation's capital last Wednesday, we were disturbed. Now, I do not want you to think that I am completely informed, understanding all that took place. Those who claim to know everything that happened may or may not have all the facts. But this I do want to say. As born-again, authentic children of God, we have a responsibility to live out the truth. The truth that our focus is not in this world, but our focus is on heaven. Our representation is not a political party, not an ethnic partisanship, or even a philosophical bias. Living as authentic, relevant, Christ-like disciples means that our attitudes, our actions, our articulation, our words, and even our social activity needs to clearly represent Jesus Christ. It needs to unashamedly present the gospel in a way that draws people to the love of God and does not divide them. You see, our talk talks and our walk talks But our walk talks louder than our talk talks. And if we are going to be authentic, Christ-like disciples, there needs to be a pattern in our lives that this world observes. Recognizing that our loyalty is to Jesus Christ first and foremost. And that everything else pales in comparison. As we study the first epistle of John, John is encouraging his little children to walk in the truth. And that truth starts with the gospel. The things that we have heard, the things that we have seen, the things that we have looked upon, the things that our hands have handled, the word of life. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John helps us understand What is authentic about the gospel? 
And the thing that we recognize that is authentic about the gospel is that it reflects our Lord and Savior. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 6, we read, Whoever says he abides in him, that is in Jesus, but himself also to walk as, as Jesus walked. WWJD, what would Jesus do? That needs to be the pattern of our lives. Now John also gives us six tests that we can take to know whether or not our walk is authentic in Christ. These six tests are found in, in seven verses in 1 John. Let me give them to you very quickly. The first test is found in chapter 1, verse 6. And it says this, if we say we have fellowship with him, that's with Jesus, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. The second test is found in chapter 2, verse 4. There we read, whoever says I know him, that is Jesus, and does not keep his, Jesus' commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Down just a couple of verses, in verse 9 we read this. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And that same truth is identified in chapter 4 where we read these words. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. The fourth test is found back in chapter 2. There we read, if you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of of him. And then in chapter 3, verse 9, we read these words. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he had been born of God. And lastly, we will discover in our text today, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, these tests flow from truth. And that is exactly what we have in 1 John chapter 1, where we are told to walk according to the truth. 1 John chapter 2 begins to expand that in our lives a bit. And we're going to take the time this morning to read the entire chapter. And I'm going to ask Matt Lawson to come and, and, and share with us. And you listen to Matt and follow along in your copy of the Scriptures as Matt reads for us 1 John chapter 2. Matt, thank you very much. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by, by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing, writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment, 
that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no case for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because, he, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and that, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy, the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is, is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you, to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need of anyone that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and, in, and is truth, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, he may have confidence and not shrink, that you may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Thank you, Matt. May God bless the reading of his word. As you and I take it and apply it to our hearts and live it out through our lives for the honor and glory of our God. Now our text is in the middle of this chapter, verses 15, 16, and 17. And our text will tell us that we are to not walk according to this world. Authentic Christians have a distinct way that they respond to the culture. Authentic Christians recognize that the philosophy that is being presented to us is not the truth, but is a lie. And you and I, citizens of heaven, 
have a responsibility to walk in the truth. Now, I think it's important this morning that we recognize authentic Christianity. And that begins with defining what the world is. Verse 15, love not the world. Love not the cosmos. Now, what does that mean? John here is not talking about the physical character of this world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And five times in chapter 1, he said it was good. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Psalm 19. And after it was all done, God looked at what he created, and he said it was very good. This physical world in which we live is a gift from God. And I'm not an environmental activist. But I do believe we need to take care of this gift that God has given to us. That's not the world that John is talking about. John is not talking about people. Love not people. In fact, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son to die for the sins of the world. And aren't you thankful for that? It's not how good we are, it's how bad we're not because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God demonstrated his love toward us in that while you and I were still sinners... People who were destined to condemnation, Christ died for us. Amen? So when John says, love not the world, he's not talking about people. In fact, next week in chapter 3, we are going to discover how we need to love one another. Because that love is from God. And our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. What John is addressing here is the philosophy of this world. The thought process, the world system, the culture. It's not the physical planet. It's not the people, but the philosophy, the conduct that we see around us in this world world. And so as we look at our text this morning, we must recognize that John is saying, don't let the culture squeeze us into its mold, because that is not from God. You see, the redemption of the gospel is the transformation of our lives from one kingdom to another. And that makes all the difference. Now, we'll talk a little bit later about what this agape is, this love not is. So, stay tuned. In verse 16, John identifies the traits of the world. He says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, I want you to notice the contrast there. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, 
Those things don't come from God. They come from the world. Now, in my English Standard Version, it says desires. If you have another translation, it may well say lusts. And so you and I need to identify exactly what John is talking about here. The order of this world is the desires of flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life. This really is an issue of the heart. And these temptations of the world focus on the enjoyment of the present without understanding what is permanent and recognizing how this action affects our lives. The word for desire is epithemune. Boy, that's a tongue twister, isn't it? I'm glad we're not speaking Greek this morning. Epithemune. And it's used 37 times in the New Testament. In three cases, it's used in a good sense. Jesus, Epithamune, desired to spend the Passover with his disciples. That was a good thing. Paul uses it twice, where Paul desired to be with Christ, and he desired to be with the believers at Thessalonica. Those were good things. But 34 other times, it's used in a bad sense. Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to obey it in its epithemume, its, its lusts. Because sin has that quality from our lives. Second Peter chapter 2 says, do not indulge yourself in lusts of defiling passions. And Jude says, in the last days there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, lust, epithemume. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Jesus spoke a parable. It's a parable that you are familiar with. It's the parable of the sower and the seed. And you'll remember it. The sower went out to sow. And while he sowed, some of the seed fell on the path that he was walking on. Some of the seed fell on shallow ground. Some of it fell among thorns. And some of it reaped fruit, lasting fruit. Well, the seed that fell in the shallow ground came up just for a moment, but because it had no roots, it didn't last. The seed that fell among thorns was choked out. And Mark's gospel said it was choked out by epithemume, the lusts of this world. As the seed of God is planted in our lives, we must be careful that the desires of this world don't choke it out. Because if it's choked out, it will not bring forth fruit. Now, how does John identify these desires, these lusts, this epithemume? He desires it, first of all, of the, the lust of the flesh. Sarks is the word. Not a desire for the flesh, but a desire of the flesh. You know, we all struggle with our flesh. 
fact, Paul said, for I know that in me dwells no good thing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, who through Jesus Christ. So then I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We all struggle with that, don't we? And it's a difficult battle that you and I are in as we recognize that the lust of the flesh can creep in so easily. Now I want you to keep your finger here in 1 John chapter 2, and I want you to turn back to Galatians chapter 5, will you please? Galatians chapter 5. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 gives to us some clear identification as he contrasts walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. Verse 16, Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's a pretty good list, isn't it? Desires of the flesh. I warn you, he continues, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God authentic Christianity. But here's the contrast. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, that's tough. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the flesh with all its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Back to 1 John chapter 2. And I will remind you that at the end of verse 16, John says, this isn't from the Father, this is from the world. So, the lust of the flesh. He then identifies the lust of of the eyes. William Shakespeare said, eyes are the window of the soul. Remember that little song we used to sing as kids? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And it is so easy for you and for me To be caught up in the desires and the passions and the loves of the stuff that we see. It affects us. It really does. You'll remember back in Genesis chapter 3, Eve was tempted 
the lust of the eyes. She saw the fruit, and it was pleasant to the eyes. David should have been out with the battle because he was a king. But he one day was on his rooftop. And as he looked over his rooftop, what did he see? That's exactly right. Bathsheba taking a bath. And that caused him to commit adultery and then murder. As he brought Bathsheba into the palace and sent her husband to the hottest part of the battle and withdrew the army from him and he was killed. The lust of the eyes. Satan led Christ to to a great mountain. And he said, look at all the kingdoms of this world. They can be yours. Temptation of the eyes. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. And in Psalm 101, the psalmist says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. We live in a world that very freely promotes that which can be the lust of the eyes. All you have to do is think about the difference in television programming in 2020. 2021, and that which was not programmed just a few short years ago. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. They're not from the Father, they're from the world. The philosophy. The thought process, the value system of this world. Gentlemen, be careful what you put in front of your eyes. Ladies, be careful what you put in front of your eyes. It's not from the Father. It's from the world. And then he says, the pride of life, vainglory, false value of himself. Jesus told another parable. It's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. It's a parable about a man who was blessed. And one day he got to looking at all of his possessions, all the stuff he had, and he said, you know what? I'm going to tear down my own bards, and I'm going to build bigger ones. And I'm going to put all my stuff in those barns so that I can see it and enjoy it. And I'll say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry. Because it's mine. In the parable it says that that night, man's soul was required of him. Why? Because it's not of the Father, it's of the world. And it's important for us to recognize 
the playbook that would take us away from the Father. Now, this may not be a very good illustration, but think about the Detroit Lions. They're losers, right? What would happen if the Detroit Lions only had three plays? A run up the middle, a sweep around the right, and a pass play to the left. They would even be bigger losers. But may I share with you that Satan only has three plays? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's it. And yet, how many times do we fall captive to that which he puts in front of us? Because our desires, our passions are led away from the Father and toward the world. And the reality of the world is this. It's passing away, verse 17. This world will not last forever. This world is temporary. You and I are only camping in this world. Jesus Christ tabernacled, camped, tented among us because it was a temporary situation. And he's now with the Father. And you and I, no matter how long it is, it's still temporary. The world is passing away. In fact, Peter says that one day the world's going to be burned up. And John in Revelation says that one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So the truth is, the philosophy, the culture of of this old world is bound up in lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, and it's also temporary. And yet how many times do you and I follow the world rather than the truth of the Word of God? Now, how do we respond to that? One negative one positive. The negative is found back in verse 15, where John simply says, do not love the world. Why not? Because the world is contrary to the character of God. The world is doomed for destruction. The world is sentenced to death. The word that is used is agape. And it's used in a positive way that God sacrificed everything to give to us his son. It's used in a positive way that you and I are to agape one another and minister to each other and share with each other and and to meet the needs of each other. But here it's used in a negative way. And it could be translated, take fancy or place a high value on her or be influenced by. 
Don't allow the world to squeeze you and conform you. Because we are not of this culture. We are of Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And this world is not our permanent home. And what does John say? Verse 15, if anyone loves the world, loves Father, not in him. If anyone has sold out to this world or is passionately following the philosophy of this world, that's not the, the love of the Father. And so John very clearly says, do not love this world. You know, the stakes are high because our Father's kingdom is at war with the kingdom of this world, and the two can never coexist peacefully. And to pledge allegiance to one side is to declare, is to declare opposition to the other, because no man can serve two masters. Isn't that what Jesus said? He'll, he'll love the one and hate the other, he'll cleave the one and he'll despise the other. Yeah, you can't serve the word and the world. James says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's pretty clear. Love not the world. But positively, the last part of verse 17, do the will of the Father. Do the will of the Father. Now, what's, what's that mean? That means that we are to live out biblical truth from our lives. What is God's will? Let me give you an interesting challenge. Get out a concordance or a, a computer program and, and, and study the phrase, the will of God, or God's will. That will be an encouragement to you. You know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's will that all be saved. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the world so that they, through his death, burial, and resurrection, might have life. It's God's will that we surrender to him. Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's God's will. It's God's will that we serve one another. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 says that we don't do it to please men. We serve to please God because that is his will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that it's God's will that we be sanctified, set apart for him. And I don't like this one, but 1 Peter tells us it's God's will that we suffer. 
as long as we're suffering according to the will of God. Because that will develop the character of Christ in our lives. If we are going to be authentic in our walk, we need to walk in truth and walk not according to this world. Now I want to paraphrase this text for you. Because I I think it helps us understand what John is saying to us through the Spirit. Look at it up here, will you please? Do not embrace the world's ways or goods. When you do, it squeezes out your love for God. When you live for getting your own way, for getting everything that you want, for looking good compared to others, you're not living for God but for the world. This is foolish because it suffocates your relationship with God. And in the end, it will all go up in smoke. (laughs) That's pretty vivid, isn't it? Let me give you an expanded translation of this text. Here it is. Stop considering the world precious. With the result that you love it and the things in this world. If anyone has a habit of life, is considering the world precious and is therefore loving it, there does not exist the love possessed by the Father in him because everything which is in the world, the passionate desires of the flesh, the passionate desire of the eyes, the insolent and empty assurance which trusts in the things that serve the creature life is not from the Father as a source, but it's from the world as a source. And the world is being caused to pass away in its passionate desire, but the one who keeps on habitually doing the will of God abides forever. Amen? As I viewed the events that took place in our nation's capital this past week, I was disturbed. How in the world Could something like that happen in the United States of America? But you know what? I love this country. And I'm thankful that I live here. But although I was born in the United States of of America, I was reborn, and I am a citizen of heaven. And that is my higher focus. And my responsibility as a child of God is to authentically and relevantly, as our mission statement declares, live out righteousness as a Christ-like disciple as I live in this world for the honor and glory of my God. Amen? Walk in truth. Walk not according to the philosophy and culture of this world.